Hey everyone, it's Doug Bursch and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So the church growth movement, has that been good for the church? Has it been bad? Is it a mixed bag? What is a mixed bag? Hey, on today's show, we're going to talk about some of the fundamental flaws of the church growth movement, how it has hurt many churches and many pastors into even entering into the ministry. Yes, we'll talk about strengths, but we're going to look at this in detail. Church growth, the musical, that's the title of today's show. Please listen. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. This is The Fairly Spiritual Show. I'm Doug Birch, and I'm glad you're fairly interested in listening today. Uh, Disclaimer at the beginning of today's show, I uh, broadcast from my studio, which happens just to be the home, and I'm right at the dining room table here. And uh, we own two cats. No, that was not my choice. Uh, I was at home minding my own business when the family called from the shelter and said, uh, surprise, we want to take home two cats. And they said, but you can overrule us, Dad, after everyone had already made a decision to take two home. So uh, short story long or long story, story, long story short, we've got two cats. And one of them is particularly annoying, and he's been following me around all day, and he's decided to sit really close to me and purr. And uh, I've been waiting for his purring to calm down. But if you see hear a purring noise in the background, that's not me. I don't purr naturally. That is actually Derp the Cat. That's D-E-R-P. Derp as a co-host of today's show. When I put him outside, he just kept scratching. He's one of those inside-outside, inside-outside, inside-outside cats. So he's inside. He's sitting next to me purring. And just he'll just be background noise for today's show. Uh, so uh, church growth. Now, if you listen to the show at all or you know me in any way through what I write or preach or teach, I'm not one of those people who likes to just tear down a group of people. I think there's good and bad in any movement and any expression. I think we need to honestly look at the strengths and weaknesses or the strengths and growth areas in any movement. Uh, so please don't listen to this show as I'm just trying to promote one camp to tear another camp down. But I do want to seriously look at the church growth movement and to look at some of the problems I see in the church growth movement. And one of the reasons I want to look at it is you're not going to see this at many conferences because pretty much a church growth culture has taken over the conference circuit. It's taken over many denominational settings. It's just kind of implied that there's certain things everyone should be doing. There's certain directions everyone should be heading. And so I want to look at some of the struggles with church growth. And I entitled today's show uh, Church Growth, 
the musical because I love musicals and no, I will not be singing <laughs> the whole show or any of the show actually. Uh, well, I don't know. I could break out in song. You never know. It, it, there could be uh, some time during the show where a song is warranted. But I've always thought that would be a great musical. Of course, it would not be a great musical, but I've thought it would be a great musical to do Church Growth the Musical, where a pastor comes into a struggling church and they want him to grow the church. And we sing a lot of songs about how he tries to grow the church. Uh, of course, you're saying, Doug, uh, what does it have to do with anything? I don't know, except for the fact that every pastor I've met at some level feels pressure internally or externally to grow the church. And whether it is stated or implied, when pastoral transitions occur in churches, people will say things like, we're looking for a good pastor. We're looking for someone you know who loves God and loves the word of God and loves the people. But what is also implied is we need this church to grow. Church growth is a very high value in almost every church. I, I can give you story after story after story of pastors who were hired and fired based on church growth. And even as I say these terms, there are pastors right now who would say that is perfectly appropriate. That's how we should assess pastors. If the church is growing, they're doing a good job. If it's not, uh, they should be assessed and fired. I've joked uh, with pastors, here's one of the struggles. Uh, this is one of the struggles of ministry. When the church is growing, God gets all the credit. When the church is not growing, it's your fault. If the church succeeds, God is praised. If the church fails, it's your fault. So ministry has that kind of reality to it. So uh, this uh, podcast is going to be particularly helpful to those in ministry, but anyone who's worked in a church context, I think you're going to understand some of the things we're looking at. Here's one of my struggles when it comes to church growth. Uh, first, I'm going to use a corollary, uh, the health craze. I, I think since the 70s, there's been an increasing exercise and health craze. And I've watched some documentaries on this where we have more and more health clubs, more and more health magazines, health advice, health sites. We have uh, more than any time in the history of existence advice on exercise. We have whole stores dedicated to running, to yoga, to every kind of exercise, right? Uh, we know more about the importance of exercise. We have more exercise support groups. If you go onto your smartphone, you can look up an app on, on running or an app on exercise, and there's so many supports. Everyone knows that they should be exercising more. When it comes to eating uh, healthy food. We have this whole health food industry. We have every uh, group, every major brand has um, what they call, whether they're healthy or not, they have these health brands or these you know, low fat or supposedly uh, good for you products that they sell to you. So we've increased with this every decade. It's more and more. It, it's become something that we've increased at. But what, what's happened is we've had increased knowledge, awareness, and access, and even involvement in working out, exercise equipment, all this stuff. Guess what has also increased at the same time as all that has increased? Our weight. Americans are getting fatter. And not just Americans, the world population is getting fatter, at least in, in places of the world where we have access to food and still places where there's starvation uh, they're not getting fatter, but in places where where food is not a problem across the world, 
there's an increase and you need to exercise more and you need to work out more and you need to have more uh, health food options, uh, we're getting fatter. Now, why is that? Why is it that we're, we're exercising more than ever and yet we're getting fatter more than ever? Well, it's not that exercise isn't important. It's not that those principles aren't important. In fact, I think exercise is incredibly important. It's that we're not looking at the main cause of why people are getting fat. And there's a lot of education that says, well, we just need to eat less. Uh, we just need to counter calories. We just need to. And so there's more information about that than ever before. And yet people are getting fatter. Is it important uh, that we eat in moderation? Yes. But we're still getting fatter. So what's the problem? Is it bad information? And why I'm bringing this up is some people would say, oh, well, that's because it doesn't matter what we eat and it doesn't matter what we exercise. No, no, no. I'm not saying that. The information is important. There is good information out there about that we need to exercise. There's good information out there that we need to eat the right things. But there is something else that is happening that is making Americans fatter and making the world fatter. Now, if you look at the science behind it, and I'm not going to make this show about diet, but if you look around the world, it probably, and I put probably there just because I don't want to get into a big debate, but it probably has to do with the fact of that Americans and the world are consuming more sugar than ever before. And that's in the context of these lousy carbohydrates, uh, sugar in different forms. That what has happened in our culture that we've sweetened and we've made every product with the worst kind of sugar and everything has more of it than ever before. And even we've tricked people to say, well, the problem is not that the food we're giving you is killing you. It's just that you need to eat less of the food that's killing you or you just need to exercise more after you eat the food that's killing you. And so we've put it on the people and said, you know, you, you just are doing something wrong. If you were just better people, you wouldn't be fat. And so we blame the people and we shame the people. But the statistics show that across the board, wherever you live, uh, you're just getting, generally, people are getting fatter. And that's because something in our culture is wrong. That in the food industry, the way we've made food and the kinds of sugars that are in our food across the board, not just donuts, but Everything we make, everything we make is killing us. Maybe not everything, but much of what we make is killing us. So 50 years ago, if you looked at 100 things that are made and sold in the store versus 100 things that are made and sold in stores now, uh, 50 years ago, those 100 things would be less likely to kill you and make you as fat as they do now. And so what's the result? People are getting fatter. So it doesn't matter how much we have this culture of exercise. It doesn't matter how much we promote this culture of you need to, need to have moderation and you need to have support groups and you need to do all these good things. And if you just did a better job of eating well and exercising well, you wouldn't get fat. We have to deal with that bigger issue. Well, I bring that up because it seems to me the same trend is occurring when it comes to the church growth movement. In the last, and again, when did this all start? We could look at it, but at least, you know, in the last 20, 30 years, the church growth movement has increased. It's, it's, there's more books in every level of we, we need better leaders, we need better discipleship pathway processes, we need to assess how we run our Sunday schools or how we run our church children's ministry, how we run our worship teams, how we preach our sermons, how long they are, what our points are, how our points are done, how we assess every little thing that we do, 
how we move towards breaking past barriers, right? The 50-person barrier, the 100-person barrier, the 200-person barrier. And as I'm bringing these barriers, some of you who've really been educated in this know I'm not even maybe using the right language. That No, Doug, it's not a 50-person barrier. It's a 70-person barrier, whatever that is. We have turned it into a science where we know the science of church growth more than ever before. And maybe even some of these these things that we've learned are really good, just like you should exercise. You should also have services that don't bore people to death, right? And and you should have a nursery that isn't dirty, and you should have welcoming people, and, and, and there's good advice there. And we're giving lots more good advice, and we're giving good suggestions on how pastors should lead, and we're giving good suggestions on how people should be, and, and there's all kinds of really good advice out there, right? But we've had this growth, just as we have had this growth in, in how we should you know, lose weight and how we should exercise. So we've had this, this growth of knowledge, more conferences than ever before, more experts than ever before, more consultants than ever before, saying all kinds of really good stuff and the pastors are taking notes and they're implementing these things and they're changing the church structures and they're changing how they do things and they're removing people and they're putting people in places and how they do everything. And yet, at the same time, the church growth movement has grown. The church at large in America is decreasing. It's not growing. And the answer to this, what you're seeing as the church is declining, is not people saying, well, you know, maybe this isn't working. It's just now we have more church growth experts and they're modifying and changing the way we do our church growth. And for me, that, there's a problem there, that we might not be looking at the main issue, just as the main issue for why people are getting fat is not that we're not exercising enough, although exercise is important, and not that we don't have enough strong will or self-discipline, although that's important. There's a bigger phenomenon going on there. There's an issue of just the food that is just generally being produced in the world is killing us, that maybe there's something generally happening in the world that's causing problems of just how we approach the church in general, how we approach ministry in general. Maybe there's other bigger topics that we're not looking at. But instead, we focus in on these very narrow things. And, and, and I'm just going to throw out some rapid fire things here. I just want to throw out, uh, to me, weaknesses in the church growth movement and some problems with some of the main assumptions. Now, statistics show that is something like 95% of churches have 200 people or less. 95% of churches. That means the vast majority of churches, and, and again, these numbers, depending upon the studies, can vacillate a little bit, but the vast majority of churches are going to have 200 people or less. And then even there, some of you know that, that the median size of a church could actually be like 60 people or 50 people or 70 people, depending upon the denomination. Uh, many churches, just 30 or 40 or 50 people. So most pastors are leading churches of under 200 people, and most might be actually just leading churches of 50 or 60 or 70 people. I, I saw a Christian uh, church growth expert talking about this, saying, you know, the vast majority of churches are under 200. And then the next sentence was, let me show you how to break past that 200-person barrier. Now, listen to the logic a little bit. The vast majority of churches, the vast majority of churches are under 200. But let me break you past that barrier. 
the assumption is that 95% of the churches are not where they're supposed to be. This is what happens, whether it's implied or actually stated, it's almost as if God looks at the church and says, you know, 95% of the church is not where I want it to be. And so I want 95% of the church to be something else than what it is. Those churches of 40 and 50, they're not what they're supposed to be. Those churches of 100 are not where they're supposed to be. Those churches of 200, being 200 is a barrier that you need to break past. We're actually saying the exception to the rule. You know the exception? The exception is what is not the normal rule. Right? If you, if you, if you play a game... Like, you ever watch Plinko or something like that, you know, where you drop a ball and the ball lands in the same place over and over again, and then one time out of every hundred, it lands in a different slot or in a different place? That's the exception. That's not the rule. And we're saying what the church normally does is not right. That's not right. What the church normally does is not right. It needs to be the exception to the rule. It's become like this, and I've written articles on this is uh, I think of it like pumpkins. We've just come out of Halloween here, and uh, I love it when I go to the fair. I always go and see the giant produce. I always go see the giant pumpkins, right? And so uh, we have a local fair, uh, and you know, you'll see this huge pumpkin, and it's amazing. And one year they were growing seeds for giant pumpkins, and I bought some of those seeds, and I planted them, and it didn't work. I, I did not grow a giant pumpkin like the pumpkin I saw. But a giant pumpkin is an exception to the rule. If, if someone came to you and said, what does a pumpkin look like? If someone who had never seen pumpkins said, what does a pumpkin look like? You wouldn't show them a 2,000 pound pumpkin. You would just, you know, you just show them a normal looking pumpkin, right? You wouldn't show them the exception. If someone said, I'm gonna plant some pumpkins, what should I expect? You wouldn't show them a 2,000 pound pumpkin. You would, you would say, here's just a normal pumpkin. And in fact, if someone was going to grow pumpkins, you wouldn't bring them someone who grows 2,000 pound pumpkins. If they were just a normal farmer, if they were just somebody like, yeah, you know, we just got a little bit of land here. We're gonna grow some pumpkins. You would show them a picture of normal pumpkins and you'd give them what? The normal directions to have a normal pumpkin patch. And yet when it comes to church growth, and, and you find this, uh, we in our conferences, we take these pastors who pastor churches of giant pumpkins, these giant exceptions to the rule. And again, nothing wrong with these pumpkins. I like seeing them at the fair. They're amazing. It's like, wow, look at that. Praise God. Amazing. I'm not trying to belittle this. Some people say, yeah, well, those giant pumpkins don't taste as good and they're artificial. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm not, nothing wrong with the giant pumpkins. Praise God for giant pumpkin churches. Praise God. I've got pastor friends who pastor giant pumpkin churches. Praise God. They're doing just as good a work as we are, as I do, as anyone else does. This isn't one of those, your work is bad and my work is good, my work's better. It's none of that. But literally, in the church growth movement, we put those people up there and say, this is what you got to be. This is what a church is supposed to be. A church is supposed to be a giant pumpkin. And then everybody who actually pastors normal-sized pumpkins, someone listening now is going, are we talking about churches or pumpkins? <laughs> but the reality is it's that ridiculous. And then we're taking our notes like, okay, what, what, what am I going to do here? When 95% of churches are 200 or less, and we got someone who pastors this, you know, you know, Willow Creek, and we got Rick Warren, Bill Hybels, and whoever the local guy is who's got his big thing. 
and in all humility telling you, you can do what I've done. And the thing is, I don't think we're supposed to do what he's done. So we, we platform the exception to the rule and tell people to be that exception. And, and it judges the reality. It judges the actual, it, it skews the reality of what people should be expecting. It gives a false notion of what the church actually is. And it also gives this terrible hierarchy that the important people are the people who do the exception to the rule. And ultimately, and I think I'll talk a little later about this, it keeps people from growing pumpkins because if your expectation is to grow the 2,000-pound pumpkin, you're not going to be a farmer because that takes a whole different skill set than someone who's just a normal, normal farmer. Vast majority of churches, 60, 70 people, you know, vast majority of pastors are bivocational. They're, they're, you know, they're going to be pastoring in the church, going to be working a job somewhere else. And they might do that their whole life. And I don't think God looks at them and says, you're doing something wrong. I don't think their existence is something that they have to break past, overcome. I think there's just something fundamentally filthy in coming to someone who's a bivocational pastor with 70 people and saying, you're not where you're supposed to be. But someone who has 300 people and is full time and saying, you're where you're supposed to be. There is something fundamentally wrong with that. It's fundamentally wrong. I'll just say it. You could look at me and say, Doug, you don't understand. There is something in that that is wrong. Here's what makes it, and here's just some of the reasons it makes it wrong. One, church growth movement begins to measure the wrong things. You begin to measure success. You begin to measure fruitfulness by very specific measurements that often have nothing to do with spiritual maturity. You just measure what? Numbers. How many people? How many people are in the church? How much money is coming in? How big the building is? And maybe how many church plants you have? Things like that. And you stop measuring other things that are just as important or actually more important, the spiritual character of the people in the room. And by the way, this is true with small churches. You can have small churches that are terrible. You can say, well, we're more Christ-like because we're a small church. And you can be a small, bitter, ugly, terrible, horrible church. So size is not a measurement, whether you're small or large. It's just not a measurement of anything. It's just you're small or you're large. But church growth will give you a pass. We've all seen this. You've seen this. I've seen people platformed at conferences who pastor large churches who have tremendous character flaws. Tremendous. In some areas of their life, they're incredibly immature. They're dangerous. They're hurtful. But we give it a pass over and over again. Why? Well, because they pastor a large church. So as long as they have 1,000 or 5,000 people in their church, we're going to give them a pass, even though they harm other people. You can look in their staff. They've harmed staff members. They've harmed other people. They've just, there's behind them a trail of harm. As long as the number of a lot of people in their church exists, will assess them as healthy and let them speak into the life of other leaders. And that's filthy. That's a filthy hierarchy to say, as long as that one number is okay, we will justify all these other terrible things that person does. On the flip side, someone could be a person of tremendous character, but they don't have the numbers. They don't have the 4,000 or the 1,000 or even the 300, and we won't allow them to speak to anyone. That is fundamentally broken logic, and that's what happens in a church growth culture. Being someone who hosted a radio show, who works in different ecumenical settings, who's spoken at different churches, I can say this 
just with complete transparency, uh, before God is my witness, uh, the leaders of smaller churches and large, larger churches, there's no correlation between leaders being more virtuous or less virtuous, depending upon the sizes of the churches. There's just none. I've been, I've been with uh, larger churches and smaller churches. I've been behind the scenes in their staffs. I've talked with their associates and their other leaders. There's zero correlation between them being more righteous people, better people, kinder people, having more of the fruit of the Spirit, or less of the fruit of the Spirit. There's just no correlation. But we platform people based on that number. Literally, there are denominations that literally say, we are going to model our future based on the number. If you have that number, we will put you in front of people, even though you do not have anything else but the number. You don't have more character. You don't have more substance. You don't have more wisdom. You don't have a, a theology that has much depth. But as long as you have that number, we will platform you and say, model your life around this person. I remember being invited to go to a very large church to speak to that church, to their leadership team. And I gave a talk to that leadership team, and I saw one of the most dysfunctional leadership dynamics I had seen in any church of any size. And I didn't leave that room, you know, judging them. All I thought was I had believed this lie. You know, the reason my church is small is I'm not a very good leader. If I was a better leader and I had better leadership dynamics, then we would grow because churches that grow have better leadership dynamics. Well, I was in that larger church, and I saw one of the, the worst leadership dynamics I had ever seen in any church. And it was a reminder to me of how this church growth culture can get in your head and you begin to think, oh, well, you know, if we just were better people, we'd have better fruit. You know, a church will only grow to the size of the health of the leader. That is complete garbage. That is a garbage statement. A church will only grow to the size of the health of the leader. I've been around large churches that have very unhealthy leaders and you've seen them collapse before your eyes. We have a president that's of the United States that's not a healthy person, and yet he's been lifted to the highest position in the land. You can be lifted to the highest position in the land. You can have people follow you and be a very unhealthy person. If we're going to measure health just by how many people are around you, we're in trouble if that's the only indicator. Now, at the other level, I've been around pastors of large churches who are some of the most amazing people I've ever met. I consider them friends and mentors, people that I would listen to and follow anywhere. But I don't assess their lives just based on numbers. In fact, one of the reasons I actually respect them is I didn't even know the size of their church. I just heard the size of their heart. I heard the Spirit of the Lord within them. Leaders of churches, depending on size, aren't any more virtuous. Here's another one. Larger churches don't necessarily have any better of a witness. You know, I, I'm in the Seattle area, and in the Seattle area, we had Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill. And Mars Hill was this huge, growing church, and, and Mark Driscoll was the celebrity of it. And I got to interview him a couple times, and, and, you know, people throw out those numbers of how big the church is. And people use that. Well, you know, they might be doing, you know, you know, Mark might be kind of harsh and rough, but look at all the people who are being reached. But here's the deal. For the 10,000 he might have reached, how many thousands did he hurt and harm with his terrible witness? He had staff member after staff member that he hurt and harmed and 
thousands of people who left the church, who hate the church and hate God because of the problems that are in that church. And, and he left town with all kinds of unresolved conflict and brokenness. So great, you have on one side of the scale 10,000 people positively affected going to church, but how many 10,000s do you have who are now what? Broken and hurt and disillusioned and and that reality you see, and, and by the way, small church is the same way. You know, we're just a small family. You might be a small, dysfunctional family that's hurting everyone. There's no sign that it's right. It's just different percentages. I mean, actually, it's the same percentages, just different amount of people. A people of 100, you can be like 100 people you helped and 100 people you hurt. There's 10,000 in your church, 10,000 people you helped, 10,000 people you hurt. So numbers don't really mean anything when it comes to witness because it's the same percentages. I've seen that. I've seen small churches where, okay, the reality is you only have, you know, 50 people in your church and there's 50 people you helped and 50 people you hurt. On a yearly basis, people come and go. And so there's about 50 people you hurt every year and 50 people you help every year. Well, in the church of 2000, people come and go. And so there's about 2000 people you help and 2000 people you harm. It's just the same percentage, but it's different numbers of people. But when you're a mega church, that's a lot of people. And every single one of you can think of a regional church where there's a pastor or there's a leadership team that's hurt a lot of people. So this premise that we just need these larger churches to witness the good news of Jesus Christ, well, maybe, but they can also do a lot of harm. So this assumption that everyone needs to be these larger expressions so we can do the work of the kingdom, well, we can do the work of the kingdom, but we can also do some great harm. And when these churches collapse, it's like if a small church collapses, it's like, okay, then we'll figure it out. But when these large churches collapse or when there's moral failings or when there's pastoral breakdowns or breakdowns or pastoral infidelities, the, the harm that it does to regions is so devastating. If you look at most denominations right now, these mega churches, their ability to transition from one pastor to the other is almost impossible. They don't even know how to do it. These pastors have been teaching about how to how to build teams and how to how to you know share leadership and, and how to not just make it about yourself and yet they can't transition their churches to the next generation and the consequences are thousands of people lives in the balance church structures in the balance they're going to do their best but it doesn't make it any easier and yet these are the models we're pushing you just need to grow and get bigger and stronger i don't know if these things even help the church advance Leaders of larger churches or churches that are growing aren't necessarily any more virtuous. Growing churches don't necessarily have a better witness. The other thing that's happening with the church growth culture, it's creating higher and higher expectations of what a church should be. And I see this with church planners because larger churches can do more things. They just can. And so larger churches have more programs. They have more events. They have more activities. And so they just offer throughout the week. They have all these different things you can go to. And so now new church starts, new church plants try to do more than ever before. And so what you're finding with new church works is they're getting burnt out quicker than ever before. So these Growing churches are doing these big, elaborate things. And so if you grow, you can do it because you got more people, you got more resources, you got more money. You can do more and more things. But smaller churches have to keep up with them because they have to have as good enough of a children's program and as strong of a youth program as they have and do as many things as they do with women's group. 
And so they try to do the same things the larger churches do, but they don't have the same amount of staff and they don't have the same amount of money. And so they run themselves into the ground. This isn't me just complaining. I've seen this happen to pastor after pastor after pastor. I've seen churches close five years too soon because they tried to do too much. They tried to be the larger church. They tried. They were trying so hard to grow, and the only way to grow, they thought, was to do what the larger churches were doing. These are the secrets. I'm just going to let you know the secrets. And I'm not doing it as someone bitter because I like our church. I like where we're at. I feel peaceful for where I'm at. I'm talking for people who are right now in a place where their church is about to close, and their leadership team is overwhelmed, and they've been doing everything they can to grow, and they have elders and deacons who are frustrated they're not growing, and these expectations have been put upon them, and they feel like second-class citizens because they pastor a church of 100 or a church of 150, and somehow they feel like a bad pastor or a bad person because they're doing what the majority of the church is doing, and they're doing something that somehow seems wrong because they're not an exception to the rule. You can tell I'm a little passionate about it. Whether this has been intentional or not, we've put these expectations on it. I've seen, I've seen leadership teams, what happens, these churches start and they try to do all these things and their leadership teams just get burnt out. They can't do it all. They're at church all the time. And here's what's happening too. And I'm, I'm telling you right now, this is what's happening. The church growth culture has created a higher church expectation. And so people are doing more and more things at the church than ever before. And people have higher expectations of what the church should do than ever before. And so we have more consumers of church um, events than ever before. Higher expectations, more desire of I need more things for my kids to grow. And pastors, because of that, they're spending more time at church than ever before, away from their kids, away from their spouse. And it's affecting marriages and it's affecting the next generation. And what's happening with these high expectations is it's also affecting the next generation's willingness to go in and become a pastor because people who've been raised in that environment don't want to become senior pastors. Right now in our Bible colleges, it's hard to get people to become senior pastors. They don't want to become senior pastors because they see what it takes to be a senior pastor and they don't want to be it because they don't want to have to be a CEO of a church that has to do all these things to appease people and to grow to the expectations of the culture around them. The church growth movement has in some ways just created more expectations, more assignments for people to fulfill, more jobs for people to do. It's just raised the bar for everyone else, but it hasn't necessarily raised growth. But it's sure worn a lot of people out. And the church at large in the U.S. is still declining, and people are still more demanding than ever before. Creating higher expectations of what the church should be and wearing people out. And it's limiting who can become a pastor. One of the problems with larger churches is they have a different concept of the church than smaller churches, larger churches become like their own denomination. They work on their own strength, their own power. They can do things on their own. Smaller churches have to work in collaboration with others. And the church growth movement has pushed that power dynamic. You need to get bigger and stronger and just do it on your own. Get where you can plant your own churches and grow your own this and take things in your hand. Smaller churches, when you're 50 people or 60 people or 70 people, you don't do things on your own. You have to partner with other people. You have to see yourself as part of something larger than yourself. If you want to do something for the city, you don't just do it on your own. You do it with other pastors. You do it with other churches. 
You do it within your denomination. It's not about how many churches did I plant. It's how many churches did my denomination plant. It's not how many things did our church do. It's how many things did the larger church do. Now, these are all kind of extreme things without not many qualifiers in them. When I look at the scripture, Jesus says there's a, there's a ripe harvest. He says there's a ripe harvest, and here's the problem. What's the problem? The problem isn't that the churches aren't growing. The problem is that the workers are few. He said the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. And my biggest problem with the church growth movement is I think it's actually making it so that fewer workers are going into the harvest field. We have turned the pastorate into a profession that many people don't want to do. If you go on social media, the pastorate's just not respected anymore. I, I have friends even on social media that they're nice to me, but every other pastor on social media, not so nice. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of extreme, but just they just have a tendency to just kind of write about what's wrong with the church and what's wrong with pastors. And I get it. Like, there's a lot of things wrong with pastors. And there's a lot of things wrong with the church. And one of the reasons I planted my own church and one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing even now is I believe in reform. But we live in a culture and people who are not pastors don't necessarily recognize this, that you can go on social media and you can go a whole day and only see complaints about the church. And these are from people who are friends. They're not complaining about me. But they're just going after, this is what's wrong with pastors. This is what's wrong with the church. You'll see people tweet that thing, empty the pews, right? And I get that. You know, empty churches, I'll have to say, well, what they're saying is don't go to churches that hide abuse and don't go to churches that harm people. But they don't put those qualifiers. They just say, empty the pews. Just, just leave this place. Leave the church. Leave the pastors. Leave these communities. And as a pastor myself, it's like, I, I need some support. There's days there when I'm like, I need someone to like believe in me. And then you, you go to a conference and there's a guy up there of this large church and he's like, you can be like me and you can break past that place you're in. You know, God loves you, but if you just did what was right, You'd be like me. You'd be like the exception to the rule. You'd, you'd get to hang out with us. It's, it's one of the weirdest things. You'll even go to conferences and you'll, you'll see the megachurch pastors will hang out with other megachurch pastors. They just kind of talk in their groups. And my problem with all this is we live in a culture that's not encouraging pastors. We live in a culture that doesn't respect the church. We live actually in a culture where the church is declining more than ever before, and it's going to continue to decline. And yet we're putting higher expectations on what a church needs to do and what a pastor needs to do to be a good pastor and to be a good church. But Jesus said the harvest is ripe and the workers are few. Which makes me believe that what we really should be doing is facilitating environments that encourage people to go into the harvest field and harvest. We need to encourage people to pastor. 
We need to encourage new expressions of the church. We need to encourage people that your job isn't to grow a church past any barrier. It's just to go out and do what God has called you to do. And what you do has value. Seriously, like the concept of like, you know, if you're a good pastor, you'll be growing your church. What? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe you're just supposed to pastor 50 people. By the way, even churches, you find larger churches that are at 5,000. They're often at 5,000 for like 10 years. Well, that means they're stagnant at 5,000. People come and people go and they're just around a 5,000-person church. Well, maybe you're around a 500-person church or you're a 50-person church. The issue is you decided to go into the harvest field and to lay down your life and to pastor a church. What we need is not for you to take the weight of it and try to be something you're not. We just need more people to go into the harvest field. And we need to celebrate what they're doing. And I say, great, I don't know how many, maybe it'll be 50 people, maybe 100 people, maybe 100,000. It doesn't matter. We just need more people. You're welcome. Come into the field. We welcome you. Come into the field, however you do it. It's just welcome. As long as you're loving and kind and gentle and Christ-like, you're welcome. You want to do a small group in your home? You're welcome. Come. There's certain, you know, there's going to be limitations to what you're doing. Because of that, you're probably going to be bivocational and there's probably not going to be much money involved here. Are you okay with that? Then that's fine. Come on in. We encourage you. You belong here. We want to hear your voice. You matter. You're just as virtuous. You're just as important. Your voice matters just as much as the person over there who's doing 10,000, just as much. There's, there's nothing in you that is any less important or vibrant or meaningful than anyone else in this room. If we start talking that way, more people will go into the harvest field. If we start celebrating more expressions, more people will be pastors and more churches will be planted and more church expressions will rise up. The problem with the church growth movement, it has narrowly defined what the church is, what church health is, and it's forced people to follow that form. And because of that, many people have said, I can't do that. And it's either worn them out or they've just quit. It's created a system and it's created laws that people cannot live up to. And it's promoted people who love the system and those who aren't called to that system, it's shamed and judged. The harvest is ripe and the workers are few, so our job is just to get more workers to go into the harvest field. And that's always been the issue for me. Like, if someone wants to complain about the church, fine, go do something then and I'll, I'll celebrate it. You want your church to be a group of people who go on a hike together and talk about Jesus and read the word and reach the lost, then I'm fine with that. As long as it's not just a bunch of friends who knew each other before the church started. That's not a church, in my opinion. A church at some level has to be that some strangers get together. Yeah, yeah, you might start with some friends, but you better reach some people you don't know. And some people who are lost better be found. And the good news of Christ better be proclaimed. A church isn't just, you know, a bunch of people left a big church and now formed a small church with the people that you met in the large church. But whatever form it is, I, that's fine. As far as growth, like growth is, are you growing in the Lord? Are they, are they growing in the Lord? Are you continually reaching out to the lost? That's fine. There's something wrong that that we've just embraced this church growth movement, but we're not looking at the church in America is not growing. So the basic premise behind it is false. It's not working. And it's not encouraging more people to become pastors, which is probably the worst fruit of all. We don't have leaders and pastors willing to facilitate new church works, then there's really going to be no church growth at all.
I know this might sound a little harsh, but it's really important to me. And I, and I just decided in this show to kind of speak to the people who feel overwhelmed. I had a pastor friend of mine. I talk about this in my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. I talk about seeing a church close, and this is a chapter. I asked permission from this pastor. I didn't share their names, but I asked permission to share the story. And they were church planters, and they did a faithful job of planting a church, and they had to close the church. And because some churches just have to close. And um, I didn't share this in the book, but I was in a gathering with my friend, and someone said to him, and he had pastored like, I think he had pastored five or seven years, this church. For five or seven years, he was the senior pastor of this church and done all kinds of ministry, loved people, and then they had to close the church. And someone said to him, well, maybe you're just not senior pastor material. That's what another pastor said. Those filthy words. Maybe you're just not senior pastor material. Because what he'd implied, if you were senior pastor material, your church would have grown and continued to operate and not closed and done what it was supposed to do. Because this other pastor somehow knew the heart of God and all this. Instead of saying what he should have said was, you know, the harvest is ripe and the workers are few. Thank you for going in the harvest field. And thank you for five or was it seven years faithfully working in the church as a senior pastor. And thank you for not being so arrogant as to try to just hold things together for your ego, but listening to the Lord and then just coming to a time and saying, this season is done and blessing people and helping them find another church. Thank you for not making this about your ego, but about God's church. If we just celebrated people in what they did, instead of judging them in what they did, we'd have twice as many pastors. We'd have healthy families. And we'd have healthy churches. The church growth movement. What should it be about? Numbers or the individual? Ultimate growth is growing in the character of Christ, the love of God, the peace of God, the goodness of God. I don't know if we're producing that fruit. I want to contend for a church growth movement that brings more leaders into the harvest field. And it produces in our leaders a joy in the doing that whether they pastor for one year or for their entire life, they're at peace with what they're doing and that they know the fruit is in the doing, not in whether there's 20 people or 20,000 in the room. All right, thanks for listening. Make room for the Lord who knows you by name. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at evergreenlife at mac.com. That's evergreenlife at mac.com. Please pick up my book if you would, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. You can get that at fairlyspiritual.org or at amazon.com. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. This theme music is from my brother, Dan Birch. Pick up his music on iTunes. I will see you next time. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. But you've spoken by your word, your Holy Spirit's leading me. You 
Dreams with you.